Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Good evening, everyone. It is December 22nd. And uh, we're having a meeting tonight on the common rule. We've had these successive successive meetings um, for a few weeks now, so um, I won't uh, delay. I'll just get started, and I'll unmute everybody. And if everyone um, is having any noise on their phone, if you could just mute yourself, that would be great, and I'll let Carla have the floor. Go ahead, Carla. You there, Carla? Me? There you go. Oh, yeah. I think it was, <laughs> as I said, it's gonna, it's on a delay here, so. Um, <laughs> no problem. You know, go um, right ahead. All right, well, thanks for joining the call. And uh, we sent out, um, I'm sorry, I didn't get it out until today, but we did put together a letter or comment that uh, gives kind of a template that can be used to submit your comments. Uh, you can submit it that is submit it as is, but if you know after adding your name um, to the top and bottom, uh, if you could change it slightly, that would help. Just so our comments are different. But I wanted to see if anyone has any comments about the content of the letter. Any feedback? Uh, we welcome. Joy, did you? Uh, have any comments? Was did you need a shorter? Did you want a shorter version of the letter? Well, um, I somewhat would uh, prefer a shorter version, and I, I looked over it and I thought the part where, you know, with, with them, since it's going to them, um, I hate to say they already know the history. <laughs> Because sometimes you yeah. you have to tell them you really do uh, need to remind them of the horrible history and this was where um, uh, now I'm, I, you know what it is and now I'm going into my I'm going into the second step so that's probably not what you're talking about oh no that's fine whatever whatever you're looking for just let us know and um, so so the letter. Uh, so is, are, when you say second step, do you mean a letter that's not for them or the letter for them? The, the letter that's for them, um, yes. there's one wherein we are, we, we as if we're sending it to them, we're, you know, reminding them about the horrible history uh, with MK Ultra, And and then at the same time I said to myself, yeah, but if you don't remind them, if you don't put it in there, um, you're not really getting to focus on why we believe these particular things are important. So it's not a real, it's not long. You know, I, I think these two pages are okay. I'll look over some more and what is that? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let me see if I can things. mute everybody to look one at a time until we find it, okay? Okay. Yeah, okay. 
Um, well, but anyway, if if you all can hear me, I think I'm. I'll be looking over it tonight. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I I think if I think that if there's if anything should be possibly removed, that may be it. If I just want to guide. That was sorry, Joy. That was you. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So if I just want it, want the um the whoever's going to respond, if I want them to just get straight to the point, that probably that little section I might uh, say let's leave that out. But otherwise, I mean, it, it's great and you know it's needed. And I think I came up with um not to get off the subject, uh, one common rule. I you know I thought that might um work for getting people to go to. Uh, the site and it's not a lot to remember um, as well. Uh, yeah, but- and I know what you're saying about uh, MK Ultra. Um, I'm kind of assuming that other people will read the comments and also some of these people are younger. Like I didn't know any of this stuff myself until I became yeah. a victim. But I will, I'll definitely take it out because I could definitely shorten it there um, and I might be able to shorten it other places. So once you read over it, let me know, and I can definitely put together a shorter uh, letter. Well, you know what? I mean, I was thinking that if there was, uh, if this is set, is set up correct, and I'm hoping that I still have the person that was going to, you know, help me put it together, um, I might have space where people were, um, we can have a list of some of the experiments that they've, uh, you know, that our government has been involved in, uh, but but still, you yeah. Know, right now, uh, I'll keep this version, and then you know, if you manage to, you know, uh, make it a little shorter, that's fine. If not, I'll work with it. And the other okay. thing, Joy, too, to keep in mind is, um, I think uh, Carla, you addressed this uh, to Health and Human Services, right? Yeah, and I said another agency, so it could yeah. be sent to other but, agencies. But I mean, as well. we—I think we really should be sending them to all the agencies. So yeah, I think the agencies too, are yeah. listed at the bottom of the page. So yeah. um, I think that we should definitely—I mean, while we have the opportunity, we should be doing that, especially to the intelligence agencies that want to have this waived and waived uh, consent. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and it was. I had a hard time shortening it, Joy. It was much longer, just because they want to know. You know, they want you to say, "Well, here's what's wrong," but they also want want you to say, "And tips for submitting effective comments. Here's why it's wrong. Here's how you can change it, etc." Um, right. But I can definitely do a shorter version, and I, I, I will do that and see, send it to you. Do what you think. Um. Anyone Unfortunately, else? I I keep um, having to uh, mute one person in Florida. Every time I unmute, it there's noise. Just in case they are wondering why I'm doing it. Oh wow. Okay. Um. Okay. Well, uh, tonight. Um. Again, I apologize. I'm I'm not that prepared, so we can walk through it. Uh, if anyone is ahead of me or has read it, feel free to uh, lead. <laughs> and um, I'll just get started here. Sorry, I'm logging into the chat here. Just a moment. Um, okay, so the um, 
in the overview, I just updated a little bit to add a few more comments. Oh, sorry, let me unmute myself here. Oh, sorry. Okay, so last week we went through the exemptions, number three on the overview. And uh, today we were gonna start with number four, which is um, proposed changes to obtaining, waiving, and documenting informed consent. And uh, that starts on page 53975 in the NPRM, the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking. And um, it just kind of starts out, uh, you know, the goals of the proposal related to the waiver of informed consent and the documentation of informed consent. It says is to uphold individuals' autonomy interests in determining whether their biospecimens and identifiable private information may be used for secondary research. Uh, also to facilitate the recruitment of prospective research subjects and to create more flexible rules for documenting informed consent for certain subject populations. So um, I really ha don't want to spend too much time on this, this section, but informed consent is important, so I may have missed something. Um, it says currently the common rule permits an IRB to waive the requirements uh, for obtaining informed consent under two sets of circumstances. Um, the most common set of circumstances require that four specific criteria be uh, be satisfied. And um, SECHARP, uh, through its subcommittee on the common rule, developed several recommendations regarding the interpretation of these waiver criteria. And in particular, the commenters have questioned the meaning of the criterion that the waiver or alteration will not adversely affect rights and welfare of the subjects. And uh, they question the term practicably. Uh, after some long discussion in here, I think at the end, they decided not to change that definition um, they just said that accepted definitions of the term practicably are feasible and capable of being affected, done or put into practice, and that may be practiced or performed, capable of being done or accomplished without available means or resources. Um, let's see, sorry. So they're saying, um, it is impracticable to perform the research and not just impract impracticable to obtain consent. So they wanted to emphasize that. Um, they felt they were uncertain, Department of Health and Human Services, whether a change to the definition would improve the understanding, so they proposed to retain the phrase unchanged. Um, the NPRM proposes to add a new waiver criterion which would require that for research involving access or use of identifiable biospecimens or identifiable information, the research could not practically be carried out without accessing or using identifiers. And um, that was modeled after the HIPAA privacy rule, which requires that research cannot practically be conducted without access to and use of the protected health information. Um, a provision has also been added 
in the NPRM to address concerns that the current regulations require an IRB to determine that informed consent can be waived under the current uh, 116D and 116E and F in the NPRM before investigators may record identifiable private information for the purpose of identifying and contacting prospective subjects for a research study. So this requirement to waive informed consent is viewed as burdensome and unnecessary to protect subjects, and it's not consistent with FDA regulations. So I haven't focused much on biospecimens. This pretty much relates to biospecimens and identifiable information. Um, should IRB review be required, waiver of documentation of consent for the research use of biospecimens would not be allowed based on a new provision at 117C3. And at 117C4, they would also clarify that waivers of documentation may not be permitted for research subject to regulation by FDA. So basically, what would change? A new waiver criterion would be added at 116F1III, requiring that for research involving access to or use of biospecimens or identifiable information, the research cannot be practically carried out without accessing or using identifiers. Um, additional waiver criteria would apply to research involving the use of biospecimens. Also, if a person was asked to provide broad consent to store or maintain for secondary research use of biospecimens or identifiable private information and refused to do so, a waiver of consent would not be allowed with respect to the research use of such person's biospecimens or private identifiable information. Um, a couple new other provisions um, in which investigators obtain identifiable private information without individuals informed consent. Uh, sorry, an IRB may approve a research proposal in which investigators obtain identifiable private information without individuals informed consent for the purpose of screening, recruiting, or determining the eligibility of prospective human subjects of research through oral or written communication or by accessing records in order to obtain uh, informed consent, uh, so on. And then um, a new provision would be added at 117C1II, allowing a waiver of the requirement for a signed consent form if the subjects are members of a distinct cultural group or community for whom signing documents is not the norm. This would be allowed only if the research presents no more than minimal risk of harm to subjects um, and provided there's no alternative method for documenting that informed consent. <clears throat> Excuse me. Any questions, comments? Um, I, I guess um, I think when they talked about minimal, um, we never really found out who defines minimal. And, um, you know, yeah. minimal um, includes or excludes um, experiencing pain. 
Well, minimal risk, there is a definition, um, let me find it here, and they, uh, even though I think over half of the comments, commenters to the ANPRM recommended changing the definition of minimal risk, uh, they decided not to change it, and uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, somewhere, I have that documented. Bear with me. And when you say they, are you referring to the... Um, uh, uh, oh, yeah, the notice of, uh, Well, the NPRM itself, uh, after they got all the comments to the ANPRM, okay. uh, they assessed all of it. And even over just slightly more than half felt that the definition, they desired a change to the definition, I think is, is the way they put it. Um, they still... Uh, decided not to change it. And, um, oh, here it says, uh, there there was lack of clarity in terms it says, such as daily life or routine physical or psychological examinations. And in the, um, sorry, in the current, in the current common rule, minimal risk means the probability and magnitude of harm or discomfort anticipated in the research are not greater in and of themselves than those ordinarily countered in daily life or during the performance of routine physical or psychological examinations or tests. So um, people felt, you know, things like daily life, that term is not clear. Routine physical or psychological examinations, that's not clear. But in the end, they opted not to change that definition. Um, and personally, I do think there's an issue because, um, you know, we talked about the example, like if you go through an x-ray at the airport, you know, you do that a couple times a year maybe. However, if you are subjected to x-rays on a daily basis, uh, is that considered minimal risk? Um, I would say no. But it says probability and magnitude of harm. Uh, you know, I don't think we should be dealing with probability. However, they did, though they did, opted not to change the definition of minimal risk, they did opt to, I think uh, somebody, I don't know if it's, I think it's the secretary will be adding a list of what, uh, of things that, uh, activities that are considered minimal risk. And um, so they did add that. The list is not ready, but they will be adding that in. So, you know, we don't know what's on that list, but we'll see. So, um, any other comments? That was a good point, Kate. Um, well, reference to it wouldn't be bad because um, they may consider that. Um, I think it's pretty much what she just said. If we're encountering or going through this every day, um, you know, is you know, my ability to complain is probably going to be uh, very small anyway. But it doesn't mean I'm not suffering. Um, so, right. And when we get further down to IRBs, an IRB can waive or alter consent 
if the research involves no more than minimal risk to the subjects and the waiver or alteration will not adversely affect the rights and welfare of the subjects. So, and because I'm not sure how many IRBs there are, there might be more than 10,000, but, but you, clearly they won't be applying the standard in a uniform manner. And then there's a lack of clarity in the term of minimal risk and the terms inside of minimal risk. So um, it has... You know what else, Carla, I I, I think of when... What was that... um, uh, I'm trying to remember what they called it. The system whereby that they were going to um, base things. Do you remember towards the beginning of... um, Oh, say again, where they were going to what? Phase things? They were going to have some kind of tool. Do you remember the tool? And yes. Doesn't the tool play into this, um, the IRB? And so we still, it's kind of hard. I still think that we should mention that um, we can't, it's hard to comment completely on approval or disapproval when the tool has never been made available. And we don't That's know. That's right. You know, that's exactly I think that's right. going to be very critical because, I mean, it could be nothing. I mean, I may be exaggerating it, but it could be very critical. And we don't know. Right. Since no, we don't know. They're just saying, oh, they're going to use a tool. Yeah, yeah, they're going to create a web-based tool for, I think, exempt research. Yeah. That you put in your data and then you're, it's either exempt or it's not and yeah. get an instant answer. Right. And to me, that would, I mean, depends on what area of research you're you're doing, you know. Right. I mean, if it's research on a person or is it research on a pill, you know, right. and, um, the person's taking the pill, but in one case it's, it's um, you know, substance put directly on their body. I mean, I think there's going to be, um, they may say it falls under exempt, but I think that the criteria of having one tool for everything, I don't know, scares me a little. Yeah. Yeah. And it scares me having all of these IRBs, right, making these decisions as well because. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that it is critical to keep going back to the Clinton statement. And um, yeah. if everybody includes that, I think that'll be very important that we all keep saying, you know, Clinton said there shouldn't be any way right. to inform consent. And we just say we, we reiterate it and we don't know why they would even consider anything else. Right. Um, Norman brought that up about Clinton said in 1997 that they should prohibit waiver of informed consent for classified research. And that was in in response to the disclosure of unethical human radiation experiments. And uh, I think that's a very, very important point because, you know, now they're, they're proposing waiving basically informed consent for classified research. I, I say that in effect by by uh, you know excluding intelligence surveillance activities and criminal justice activities. Um, that I think that that will occur. All right. Well, so the the NPRM also proposes a new provision at one one six H one that would require that a copy of the final version of the consent form, absent any signatures for each clinical trial conducted or supported 
by a common rule department or agency be posted on a publicly available federal website that will be established as a repository for such consent forms. So uh, they will be uh, posting those uh, consent forms. Um, and it says the name of the protocol and contact information would be required to be included with the submission of the consent form. You know what I, I was think thinking too? I mean, I, I know that, it, I don't know. I mean, I know that there's a uh, suggested way to make comments. But what I'm thinking is if, in fact, we got, um, you know, the uh, intelligence agencies looking to waive informed consent, um, uh, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I thought I had an important point to make, but I'll come back to it. I'm sorry. Let me see if I can nudge you. What were we just talking about? Oh, informed consent and uh, intelligence surveillance activities. And actually, you raise a good point because they're supposed to get informed consent, but has anyone ever heard of the CIA or the you know, Department of Defense or anybody asking for your consent to surveil you? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, if you come come to it, yeah. let me know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and then um, let's see. Um, just a moment. I, I want to make a comment about your last comment. Yeah. They're supposed to have a limit on uh, surveilling, accusing you of things. You know, it's supposed to be for like two years or whatever. And what they do is they continue these uh, surveillances until you die. Right. And as a matter of fact, we are dying of these surveillances and um, like, you know, I mean, it's absurd. I don't care if they have to get my, you know, I, I get feedback on a daily basis from these morons, and I'm sick of it. Yeah, and and I guess the thing is, it, could it be, is it is it uh, for intelligence surveillance? Is some of it, like there's a Department of Defense instruction that says that they can uh, waive consent for testing medical devices if it benefits uh, soldiers, um, so, you know, we just don't know 100%, but but basically um, I suspect that a lot of this classified research that they do falls under that. I didn't know there was a limit that was... Right, and, but I, you know, um, I'm very sick of the implants they put in me. Yeah. And I'm tired of being accused of things I have not done over and over and over again. You know, this is and not the forum for um, talking about this. I think we mentioned that last week. Um, most calls are meant for doing just that, for venting. But this call is specifically yeah, but, but, for getting that, comments together and to pr- process. Excuse me, I'm not CIA. Excuse me. Um, this is to educate people how to make a proper comment so it actually will make a difference, okay? 
it's a very different kind of call. And we really can't go down that road right now. So uh, what what do you want me to do? Well, if you if you want to vent about what you're you know going through, I would suggest right. another call, not the call that's about educating the the people, the public, so that they can make a um, but a very intelligent can... comment when they sent their comment in. So well, you're you saying I'm not uh, making I'm... intelligent comments or something? Is that Pardon what you're me? saying? I'm making a stupid comment? No, I'm no, saying that that's, no. not what, that's not what we're talking about tonight. We're not venting about our what we're going through. This is specifically going through the common rule, going through the process, okay? Um, right. This is what it's been about from the day we started doing this. So I just have to but ask you. I'm, I'm just wondering, am I allowed to make these comments when I make my comments? Um, I would suggest that you not, because I um, believe that when you're addressing the common rule, you're addressing rules, okay? I think if you feel strongly enough that you want to say, I've been subjected to technology that that sends voices into people's heads, by all means, you that's your right to do it, okay? I'm not going to tell you one way or the other whether you should or shouldn't do it. Um, I have an opinion, but I think I'll keep it to myself. So what what do you, what are we supposed to comment on then? Well, I'm commenting on the rule changes. You know, the fact that we're going from, in some situations, um, agencies like the surveillance agencies, the intelligence agencies, want to have um, carte blanche, Way right. to consent, okay? Right. So that's what you can comment on because yeah. that's going to make a difference, you know? But okay. talking about what you're going through, this is not the forum for it. Uh, we're going to be doing something in the very near future that will get more into what you're talking about. We're going to be doing Really? What is that? Pardon me? What is that that you're going to get into? Well, we're going to be doing surveys, and we're going to have the data analyzed. We're going to be um, even doing some lobbying, okay? So So uh, when is that coming up? Is that coming up in January? I can't get into details right now. We're concentrating tonight on this, okay? Well, I just may be dead by then. Well, I'm sorry that this is what this particular meeting is about. And I don't. And so you just want us to comment on the rule itself. The rules are what you need to comment on, because your comments will make a difference if you go in to the common to the comments section. Okay, all the information that we've sent out in writing to everybody who's been on the email list knows that you hit the link, you go in, you can make comments, or you can read other people's comments. And I would suggest that you yeah. do read some comments so you get a better I'm, feel. I'm only able to access the ones that you print out because uh, I all I have is like this spy phone. But I'll do my best to try to get up to speed on that. Okay. Well, if we can help you, I think the best thing to do is for us to email back and forth with you afterwards. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, you know, now the other thing is, um, I mean, we all know that intelligence agencies, 
um, is very who I mean who in their right mind are going to tell intelligence agencies or ask them what did you do to me or uh, we know that they're the greatest abusers of these type issues so I, you know I find it hard to um, give them any rule any room for informed consent because that's not their role I mean it goes back to the exceptions that we were covering. And, and before, you know, two or three meetings ago, and I think it's a little difficult to be entertaining that tonight. I mean, I, I mean, even raising it because to me, there's no room for it for them. They shouldn't be considered in any capacity for uh, any type of experimentation, especially in, in view of what they did in Guantanamo, so or to other detainees. So, I, you know, right. Right. It shouldn't even be entertained. I mean, I mean that's just my feeling. It's because nobody can, can can correct intelligence agencies, not even Congress. So, right. There's no and answer I, for it. And I do get being tired of implants. So I hear you, but I'll just I'll just continue on um, with this, um, just so we can get through it. Okay. Um, so that's kind of it for number four. Um, I encourage you to read it. I, I didn't focus too much time on it because it primarily concerns biospecimens. And I hope I'm not missing anything on identifiable uh, private information. Um, so the next thing is proposed changes to protect information in biospecimens. And basically, the uh, NPRM proposes several set of standards and allows a choice about which to use. First, the NPRM proposes to have the Secretary of HHS publish a list of specific measures that an institution or investigator can use to meet the requirements. And again, this is, as far as I know, this list doesn't exist. The list would be evaluated and amended as appropriate after consultation with other common rule departments and agencies. And the proposed list will be published in the Federal Re Register and public comment will be sought before the list is finalized. And the, only, the second point is, if an institution or investigator is currently required to comply with the HIPAA rule, then the safeguards required the, by the common rule would automatically be satisfied. So no additional requirements are proposed to protect information that is subject to the HIPAA rules. And that's something I have an issue with because some of there are some things that are not covered because they're they're going to be covered by the FDA or by HIPAA, and to me that's an issue. We should have one place where the rules exist and everyone complies with those rules. Now you need to know who covers what, and you have to be familiar with both HIPAA, FDA, and common rule rules. And that's pretty much. It on that. I don't know if anyone has any comments on the um, on that uh, proposed changes to protect information and biospecimens. And that information is in, in the overview. Um, the next thing is harmonization of agency guidance. That basically says that the um, Regulations contain language requiring consultation 
among the common rule agencies, of which I think there are 15, I could be wrong, maybe 16 now, for the purpose of harmonization of guidance to the extent appropriate before federal guidance on the common rule is issued unless such consultation is not feasible. So it basically says they'll try, but there's no guarantee that they will uh, consult all the uh, common rule departments and agencies to get their their buy-in on uh, the harmonization, on the guidance. You know know what I just thought of, too? Um, And I know that I'm not really staying on track with what you're saying, but um, what do you all feel about possibly mentioning the fact that um, if research is not paid for, um, that contractors don't have to follow the common rule. I think that that's sort of atrocious. Right. I think that and if I, they I get that... any federal monies at any time, they should have to follow the common well, rule. Well, I think, I think it says somewhere in here that if a federal agency if a if a private institu- an institution gets money from a federal agency that complies with the common rule and it's for non-exempt research so it's not and non-excluded research so if it's something that's not exempt not excluded then they have to comply um I'm not 100% clear on that, but I think that's what they're saying, Yeah. at least for clinical trials. But, but I mean, since we're, we're commenting um, that not only are we saying that, no, informed consent should be honored at all times, that it's, in addition to that, that we should, that they should be including um, even, um, you know, the type of research that they're they're considering exempt at this point because there's no because for the simple reason there's no oversight and and then go and then once again go back to all the complaints across the country um and i even think that we could even mention um i think nick baggage did a very great good job at this last um conference on uh, covert harassment Um, Uh and this is the second annual one I mean they I think it's time for us to start mentioning these things you know and we can mention the bioethics but we could also mention that the public themselves have covert harassment conventions and people that arrive are all complaining about I think that the issue that you raise is huge because if a private corporation, for example, were to fund research, uh, they are not subject to oversight. Right. And that's that's just not right. Mm-hmm. And, but, I mean, all we have to do, you know, and what we can do, one of the things, um, if you look at, remember I had mentioned that Tim Chirac's book talks about yeah the whole um, industrial, military industrial complex prior to to 9-11, I think, I'm trying to remember the numbers now. Um, Well, at the same time, let's see, it was $98 million prior to 9-11. 
In 2006, it had increased to um, 2.6 billion, I think. Somewhere around that. Okay, so, but now, I mean, the numbers now make that look like chicken feet. Right. Right. Um, And I think that if we were to get the numbers together, that's another very important statement that just shows, it points the finger, in other words, to, okay, uh, you don't think a lot of this is going on, look at the dollars, you know? That's right. So that might be something that we could look into in the next couple of days and then get back to everybody and and just have it be something just like um, the informed consent. It could be a real big point to make in every single letter. That's right. I agree with that. Um, okay, we have a, um, a chat. I just want to see here um, in the chat room mem- memoir saying, emulating the principles of impulsive biological force generation, exploiting nitrogen vacancy diamonds for manipulation of biological transduction. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what you're referring to here. Um, I wonder if these are examples of um I wonder if those are examples of um intervention that are not considered physical. I'm not sure yeah uh, oh wait a minute there's more um uh diamond okay, exploiting biological electromechanisms using electromagnetic energy to control biological systems and large-scale nano-architecture formation. You know, that is true. We could make reference to some of these things, too. This is a paper, military pieces, and I could send it to you. This is part of the list. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, if you could send that to us, that'd be great. We can, it would just be another point that people could, you know, I mean, as far as backup, this is good things to point to, that we have papers out there that scientists are working on, and therefore it's not um, just our opinion. You know, it's actual research. Right. Um, I don't know if anyone else has any other comments. I'll just go into uh, number seven, seven, cooperative research and proposal to cover unaffiliated IRBs not operated by an institution holding a federal-wide assurance. And some, I have no idea of the number. I'd be interested to know how many institutions hold a federal-wide assurance. Uh, But the NPRM proposes a requirement at 114B1 mandating that all institutions located in the United States engaged in cooperative research rely on a single IRB as they're reviewing IRB for that study. Then under proposed 114B2, this requirement would not apply to, one, cooperative research for which more than single IRB reviews required by law, uh, for example, FDA-regulated devices, or research for which the federal department or agency supporting or conducting the research determines and documents that the use of a single 
IRB is not appropriate for the particular study. Um, now, I, you know, I've got to double check that. It says all institutions located in the United States oh, engaged in cooperative research. So and that's the, that's it, the one I, did, I had a real issue with because, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I have an issue with consolidation because consolidation eliminates checks and balances. Just like consolidation of um, all the um, intelligence agencies under Homeland Security, they no longer would look at each other, at, you know, as someone that they ought to be watching. Um, they <coughs> then felt like, well, they, they had no choice but to cooperate. That was the president's design, was to get them to cooperate. When people cooperate too much, they turn their back on their responsibility to make sure that um, there's ethical principles taking place. And that's what I fear with one single IRB. It almost becomes political to me, because who's going to be appointed to that single IRB? I think um, I think the single IRB, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not 100%. But so let's say that you're doing a study, and for example, like a support study, and there are 20 educational institutions involved in the study. I think it's saying that you would have one IRB for that study, but not for all research. So I don't know that might. Uh, make sure that it gets uh, more consistent, at least within the study. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that's the way we interpret it, you're 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 right. Right. Um, right. I'm just wondering. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I feel like you have to read between the lines and figure out what is between the lines. Right. Right. I know. I'm never sure. And some of the, the wording here is very hard to follow. Um, and it says, to encourage the use of IRBs that are otherwise not affiliated with or operated by an assurance holding institution, what they call unaffiliated IRBs, the NPRM also includes a proposal that would hold such IRBs directly responsible for compliance with the common rule. Um, I believe that is new, and that's good. Uh, that is a good good thing, right? I don't know how how effective that will be. Um, so then, the next section is changes to promote, promote effectiveness and efficiency in IRB operations. There is something called continuing review of research. It would no longer be required for research involving certain secondary research using information and biospecimens that requires limited IRB review in order to qualify for exemption under 104F1. This is moreover for studies initially reviewed by a convened IRB, continuing review would not be required unless specifically mandated by the IRB. After the study reaches the stage where it involves one or both of the following, analyzing data, even if it is identifiable private information, and this one concerns me, accessing follow-up clinical data from procedures that subjects would undergo as a part of a standard care for their medical condition or disease. Um, 
So they could gather data, if I read it correctly, from the subject. However, it's supposed to be part of standard care for their medical condition or disease, so I don't really know if it's um, if it's a concern or not. It, it also proposes eliminating continuing review for many minimal risk studies, namely those that qualify for expedited review, unless the reviewer documents why continuing review should take place. It makes sense if it's if it's exempt to begin with uh, because of minimal risk. But again, there's the issue of the definition of minimal risk itself. The NPRM proposes changes to the regulatory language regarding expedited review and will allow exp expedited review to occur for studies on the secretary's list unless reviewers determine that the study involves more than minimal risk. So this is a list that the secretary will put together. And if I'm not mistaken, the current list has a statement in there uh, that Norman brought to our attention that classified research does not qualify for expedited review. Uh, I don't know why it's in that list and not in the common rule itself. And I do have a concern that they could re they could remove that when they revise that list. So the secretary will provide a list, um, and we do need to make sure that they keep uh, they don't allow uh, classified research to be uh, expedited uh, the review of. And um, if they eliminate, you know, if they exclude intelligence agencies, that may not be <laughs> an issue. Mm. And then um, I just put a note in there about the definition of minimal risk uh, and that the NPRM does not propose to change the definition. Um, but it does propose adding to the definition a requirement that the Secretary of Health and Human Services create and publish a list of activities that qualify as minimal risk. So that will be an important list. Any comments, um, questions, comments? I think you're doing a good job there, Carla. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, this is, we're, all, we're almost uh, through it, and then we can really focus on our, our comments uh, after this, um, or we could take time out now. I'll just uh, quickly review the IRB operational requirements. Proposed criteria for IRB approval of research and proposed decisions to IRB operations, functions, and membership requirements. It says these revisions modernize the rule by creating new forms of IRB review for activities relating to storing or maintaining data and biospecimens for later secondary use and for the review of studies involving certain types of secondary use and revising to the existing criteria for approval of research where there are special considerations related to the involvement of vulnerable populations and for privacy and confidentiality of data provisions, um, adding a provision regarding plans to review the return of individual results to participants. So 
a couple notes, um, things that bother me. Waiver, in, under 116.1, waiver or alteration of consent in re- research involving public benefit and service programs conducted by or subject to the approval of state or local officials. An IRB may approve a consent procedure that does not include or that alters some or all of the elements of informed consent set forth above, or waive the above requirement to obtain informed consent, provided the IRB finds and documents that. The research or demonstration project is to be conducted by or subject to the approval of state or local government officials and is designed to study, evaluate, or otherwise examine public benefit or service programs, procedures for obtaining benefits or services under the programs, possible changes and alternatives to the programs or procedures, and possible changes in methods or levels of payment. Um, Also, the research could not practically be carried out with the waiver or alteration. So what constitutes public benefit or service programs? because they, if they involve research, then it's a concern to me that they now, can waive. Now, did you just say they, without the waiver, they can't perform the research? Is that what that said again? No, it says that they can waive it, um, provided the research could not be pra- could not practicably be carried out without the waiver or alteration. So, if it would be difficult to get the waiver or alteration to the consent they can approve uh, waiving consent or altering consent, which they don't explain why it would be difficult for it to be carried out. I guess, for example, you know, a benign example would be if if you're observing people in an atrium, it might be hard to go get their consent, right? Yeah. But there could be other uh, things, you know, if there was malfeasance that this could be an issue. But it, but it also highlights the point that state or local government officials um, can basically uh, work with an IRB to waive consent. And uh, Carla, this is Helena. You know my story, yeah. and it's totally the local police and it's revenge. Um, there is no way local officials should have so much power period, end of story. Right. Well, you know, that that particular thing that you're talking about, I'm just wondering what it falls under because it could be under so many different things, and, and there's no way for us to know, so it makes it very hard for us to comment on this unless there was enough people where we could actually prove it. But there's no way, you know, it makes it really hard for us to use this common rule to, to well, well, for point example, a finger it, at it. Yeah. Right. When it says public benefit or service programs, for example, let's say that it would benefit the public to know whether or not uh, a pathogen would affect, um, could affect them. The way it's written, if there was malfeasance, they could test that on a small group of people, right, Uh, in order to benefit the public. Uh, you know, I, I could be exaggerating here. No, you know, I, I what, think that's what they're almost implying, but they they don't want to come right out and say that, you know. Right. It's open to interpretation, and um, 
and there are so many IRBs, there is a potential for malfeasance, and it it, it concerns me. Um, well, and, and, and I think that that is important that we, we state that. There's a potential for it. I mean, there's been a potential. I mean, there's not just a potential. There's proof from the past. Yeah. So, um, to, I'm wondering it, if the common rule is similar in enforcement whenever it's ambiguous, you side with the subject. Joy, you're involved in law and insurance, so if an insurance uh, policy is written in an ambiguous way, the policy holder always wins because it's not clear in the policy itself. But I'm not sure that it would fly legally where local law enforcement or research or NSA or any one of these 15, 16 government agencies are concerned. Yeah, and if you're there, Joy. Uh, I mean, do you know what law I'm, I'm referring to? If you read, if you call your insurance agent up tomorrow saying, if I read something ambiguous, is it true? Helena said, you know, that if I, I'm in an accident and we're in the court of law, that if it, if my policy is ambiguous, then the law sides with me instead of with the insurance company. That, that's clearly how it's written yeah. here in Pennsylvania anyway. But you I know, don't the problem the to law enforcement to these experiments. If they if they waived consent, we don't know that they did it mm-hmm. and under what rule they waived consent. So we can't go back and say, uh, you waived consent, you know, why did you do it? Because we don't even know who it is. Well, that goes back to what JoJo was saying, that phrase that I forget now. But I'm talking about just being ambiguous. So they'll be able to walk through these ambiguous loopholes and in insurance, the the insurance company can't do that. Um, but I'm not sure if in this case, if these people can do that. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Joy, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Do, do you know if the law would apply to these people? If there's ambiguity in the, uh, an insurance policy, then in, in, you're in court then the court will always decide for the policy holder because the insurance policy was written in an ambiguous way and therefore it's decided in favor of the policy holder, not the insurance company. So yeah, when typically, typically that's how the courts will always rule in favor of the policy Always holder. is a real severe word. But in Pennsylvania, that's how that's the way the rule apparently is in interpreted the way I understand, and that's what I'm asking for you. And then, once again, if it applies to what we're covering here in the common rules, since so many things seem to be ambiguous and broad statements and exclusions, and it's just very difficult to understand whether, if we go to court, whether they would interpret the law, or these these rules, in court. Well... Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. No, I'm I think the court looks looks at, um, and I was just going over some stuff. I don't know, Carla, somebody forwarded it to me. Um, if if the agency gave enough notice 
for the public to respond. I mean, they'll just look at the history of how they came up with whatever they came up with and and whether a fair response would give, if it's unconstitutional, you know, uh, but you, there's a big picture that the court looked at before, and of course it always depends on what a are plaintiff re- is alleging. Are you referring to concerning insurance policies, or are you referring now, as I'm trying to compare it to this? It, yeah, in comparison to this here, and in terms of this, you know, you know, government um, uh, court sort of leans toward um, the government if um, the policy is one that has been adopted and they've generally used. Everything's relative to what we're alleging. And so if it's unconstitutional, then that's easy. But, you know, there's still a procedure, and they're going to, the court's going to look and see if they went through the procedure, if they took enough notice, you know. That's they, not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to some policy is they went through all the procedures, everything, but it's ambiguous when you're trying to interpret it in court. Well, well, we're, this, it's ambig, ambiguous to us. I'm not sure that it would be ambiguous to them. You see, and so no, not best company, but ambiguous to to the two attorneys arguing in front of a judge, and it would be ambiguous to the judge also. Not necessarily. So I'm. I don't. Right. I, I don't know that that would be a fact, but you know, the key is here when they're coming up with these proposed rule changes. I saw one thing. That Norman said out of the clear booth, well, he didn't say it like that. You all are coming up with, uh, let's say it was about the exclusions, where no notice was given of it. You see, the court will pay attention to something like that, wherein if all of these other provisions, um, the HHS or whomever went through the standard notice and um, gave people a chance to respond, that's a little bit different. So, um, you know, you and I don't have to understand it as much as um, the people that are implementing the policy. See, so it's it's not our policy, it's their policy. Well, I shouldn't be saying it like that, but to me the standards are different. I guess that's the best way to put it. The standard is different in this case than in an insurance policy. So... Mm -hmm. Totally different. Okay, thanks. I guess one other note is that um, an IRB can approve a research proposal in which investigators obtain through oral or written communication or by accessing records identifiable private information without individuals' informed consent, um, which I think we talked about for screening, recruiting, or determining the eligibility of prospective human subjects of research. Um, yeah. I noticed I read some comments, um, and some commenters had said how easy it is for them to actually go through the data and match up who whose uh, information uh, was used. You know. Yeah. Right. Right. I guess, uh, yeah, so they so can... Privacy, privacy issues are always going to be a problem. So they could basically look at data um, for recruitment pur- purposes. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They don't have to have a permission recruitment for a study. Um, other proposed changes, um, they are going to extend the common rule to all clinical trials with exceptions. Um, it says irrespective of funding source that meet all three conditions. The, the clinical trials are conducted at an institution that receives support from a federal department or agency for human subjects research that is not excluded from this policy and the research does not qualify for exemption and the clinical trials are not subject to FDA regulations and the clinical trials are conducted at an institution located within the United States. So this does not apply to a foreign research, uh, overseas research. And um, if there's overlap, I guess, with FDA, FDA uh, regulations would supersede the common rule. And then it also says that the um, you know, this is one that really bothers me. The NPRM proposes to retain the common rules current requirement that federal or depart federal department or agency heads retain final judgment about the coverage of particular research activities under the common rule. But they do propose an additional clause that federal department or agency heads must exercise their authority consistent with the principles of the Belmont report in order to require the federal department or agency has to make these judgments in consideration of ethical protection of human subjects. The reason it bothers me is it still allows, um, you know, department or agency heads authority to, uh, you know, to change uh, the requirements. And then um, the the NPRM proposes to amend the criteria for a department or agency waiving the applicability of some or all of the provisions of the policy, but again, by stating that the waiver must be supported by an argument that the alternative procedures to be followed are consistent with the principles of the Belmont Report. And here again, the provision is to make explicit the ethical basis underpinning how waiver decisions have and must be considered. I think I think that those are good uh, clauses to add, but they really don't change uh, the authority or power of the um, department or agency head to uh, their discretion regar- regarding uh, applicability of the policy. And and this may be something that affects us. I don't know. Any uh, comments, discussion about about that? The the last section is about effective and compliance dates of the new rules, and it says it is anticipated that the effective date of the final rule will be one year after publication in the Federal Register. The compliance date of the new rules would also be one year from the publication of the final rule with two exceptions. Um, As regards biospecimens, 
uh, sorry, institutions would no longer have, uh, sorry, would have longer than one year to comply. I think it's, I thought it was three, but I don't see that here. The proposal for the common rule to cover all biospecimens in the NPRM, and two, the proposal regarding identifying a single IRB that would be responsible for the review of certain multi-institutional clinical trials. The compliance date for these requirements would be three years after publication of the final rule. As regards biospecimens, basically three years, otherwise one year after the final rule is published. And that's that's pretty much it for the notice of proposed rulemaking. There, I mean, there's a lot more details in the notice um, that you can read through. You can look at the the Belmont report. Even I actually had issues with the Belmont report, just as regards to how they weigh, you know, the three principles of beneficence, justice, and I think it's basically the equivalent of I think they call it respect for persons which is autonomy and self-determination. And to me, autonomy and self-determination should trump uh, or should take precedence over um, beneficence and justice. There really shouldn't be a need to weigh that. Consent should always be required. That's my last comment. So the floor is open. I liked your last comment. I agree with it. Thank you. Um, we should have our own autonomy. When did the government intrude into our lives so much anyway? Aren't we trying to say, you know, get out of our face? <laughs> yeah, we are. You know, I think it started when we brought over the, uh, you know, Operation Paperclip. <laughs> so and you mean like it as a refugee? I followed it. Really? I came over here. <laughs> President? Oh, I've got to be part of that. <laughs> well, you know, when we... The irony. Off the scientists, yeah, yeah. Good job. Um, so, you know, look... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go right ahead, Joy. Well, no, no, this probably has nothing to do with anything, but I I just wanted to, to make sense of what I was saying before. Um, and, and not that it really matters in this case, but if the if a court typically is looking at a person that has filed a lawsuit against an insurer, and so it's about a policy issue, typically a court will rule in favor of the person whose uh, policy may be ambiguous. When it comes to these type issues, it's only my opinion, but typically I think the court will expect the person that has filed the lawsuit to show um, how they have been harmed. It's called standing because um, the the agencies do not necessarily have to cater their language to be, um, I don't know, public friendly, I guess. And, and so I guess that's the best way that, that I could explain try and explain my insight. So the so the court will um will like sometimes send it back to them to correct or change or modify or have public hearings, but the court don't always tell the agencies what to do unless it really is a strong 
constitutional issue. And that's, again, it's just my opinion. But that's good, a good comment. That's exactly what I was referring to, is in the ambiguity of insurance policy, it is usually the policyholder that the court rules on because they didn't write it succinctly enough. Um, I didn't know if that's the way it was federally or if it was just here in Pennsylvania because several insurance issues have come up and attorneys have told me that repeatedly. So it's proving standing if we're this... (laughs) (laughs) The ambiguity doesn't count here, so they won't side with us in court. We just have to prove it's harm, and we don't know what they're doing to us, so we don't know the harm that they're causing. Right. We just sense it, and because we have clarity of mind and sensing, we get to go to a psychiatric ward for further (laughs) advice. For lack of clarity, supposed lack of clarity of mind, right? No, we are clear of mind. We know something's going wrong, but we need to be evaluated and adjust our clarity. Right, right, with pharmaceuticals. Um, I just want to remind everyone that uh, in the resources, there is a, a link to Norman Raven's website. Um, I think, let me verify here. Yeah. There's a link to Norman Raven's website, and in the email I sent out, we could just briefly walk through. Um, I think Norman did an excellent job of coming up with his core questions, and uh, he looked at the ANPRM, which was announced, announced proposed rulemaking back in 2011, from which they received over 1,100 comments, and um, you know determined that there were no comments about these uh, some of these exclusions like the intelligence surveillance exclusion, intelligence surveillance activities exclusion. And, and he asked the question, you know, why? And he did submit these questions to SACHARP. Um, uh, as far as I know, he hasn't received an answer, but, you know, he says, where did that come from? If it didn't come from the comments, how does it get introduced? Who introduced it? Um, why is it needed? Why do they need to do that if they're already using known loopholes in the policy? Um, and anyway, I encourage you to go through that email where uh, Norman included his questions and comment. And um, can you explain that a little bit to me, please? Um, if it's not reviewed, if it hadn't been introduced and reviewed in 2011, does that mean we? It shouldn't be up for discussion in this part of the iteration. Is that yeah, well? You know, that's, I think that's what he's saying. Um, All right, I didn't. I just wanted to. Yeah. No, I don't say that maybe they I shouldn't don't. have put in here since we didn't go through it in that beginning part. Well, I think yeah, and that, and, and that was what I was saying too. That's what, and that's what that's what a court will look at. That you know they they introduced this. I noticed that in his email too, and it appears that they did not give a lot of notice compared to the other information. And that's what Norm was saying. Well, you know, when was why was this introduced? So I I agree. That's exactly what the court will pay attention to. Yeah, he says there there were no public comments or public discussion. So, uh, you know, where where was there any prior discussion of this 
what's the specific motivation for it being proposed? Um, and I'm not familiar enough with the rulemaking to know if, if that can happen. I suspect it can, but um, but it does effectively mean that we did not have sufficient time to comment on it. So it came into the final proposed rulemaking, and um, there should be a, a comment period, which there is for the notice of proposed rulemaking. But it's an excellent point. And then, then he says, you know, why is the proposed exemption so broad? And, and that's a, a great question, too. Um, and he says, um, there's already a known loophole, so why is it needed? Uh, and then... Uh, his last question is, why did the the rulemaking authors ignore the 15 to 20 public comments to the ANPRM uh, or a few hundred named alleged victims of ongoing non-consensual surveillance technology related to human experimentation? And why did the rulemaking authors ignore President Clinton's prior policy change attempts? which is not to properly regulate all classified human research. Um, great question. So he's saying that not only was there not public comment, public discussion, it wasn't in the ANPRM, um, and there were comments anyway about it, and those comments were ignored. So great point because uh, if we do have to go back, one of the options in, in the rulemaking is, if they do pass it, we can go back and sue, and this would be very important. Uh, there were comments already, even though it wasn't in there. There wasn't sufficient time for public comment, et cetera. Um, so, and I, I encourage everyone to go look at his website. Norman is, uh, he's very, um, he does his research. He's very articulate, uh, very precise, and it's, it's exactly what we need. Um, so I also encourage people to read the common rule, but I did want to point out one thing. At the bottom of the NPRM, not the very bottom, but after all the discussion, I think it starts, let's, let me see what page it starts here. They have, basically, they've rewritten the common rule as it will appear if they incorporate all the, all the proposed changes. So instead of reading the common rule, you can read the revised common rule, so to speak, with all of these proposed changes. It starts on I'm sorry, the regulatory text starts on page 54044 in the NPRM. And basically, what you'll read for the next several pages is the new common rule with the proposed changes. So it's one way to get a, um, right at the regulatory text without all the uh, discussion about the ANPRM, the NPRM, how they arrived at the uh, conclusion, how they assimilated the comments and things like that. This is the final regulation if it's approved, if they you know, were to disregard all comments, all comments coming in. Um, and then I think it has each different 
agency's version of the common rule, which should be the same. Um, so that that is there in the NPRM. That might be a really good way to review it too, because when you read it through that way, right. changes in it, you'll get more of a clarity of uh, this is what it's going to say and make it easier right. to comment maybe. I wish I'd done that to begin with because I was reading the yeah. NPRM and the common rule and um, yep. yes, I didn't get it all. Yep. So I think next week we could just kind of go through um, comments. Uh, discuss our comments, see if there's any questions once we review the comments that we sent out and um, any additional comments we might want to make. Uh, but we kind of have, you know, quickly plowed through the NPRM. Okay, let's see. What um, uh, what website memoir was oh, that asking? Let me, uh, I'll paste that, that in here. Yeah. Um, Coming right up. Okay, I just pasted that in the in the chat. Um, sorry. Um I don't know what else to say. Anybody have anything else? Well, going back to about a half an hour ago, you said that particular class of people who were not accustomed to agreeing and signing, you know, consenting by signing, are still excluded. Who were those particular classes of people? Oh, I think it can be like a Indian tribes or cultural uh, things. Uh, they didn't say, but um, let me see. I can find where that is. Uh, cultural, let me see. So if they're not used to doing that. Um, I mean, it's a, I yeah. mean let's, say, let's say immigrants from Syria, they're not used to signing that, so it's okay. Let's just do whatever to them. Um, um, or, you know, the Hungarian population is not that big and, and they're just really not used to consenting. <laughs> they're just excluded too. Yeah, so it says um, under the current common rule uh, they can waive the requirement for the investigator to obtain a signed consent form. Um, that, so that's a good question actually. The current criteria for such a waiver may not be flexible enough. Um, in an international setting where for cultural or historical reasons Signing docu documents may be viewed as offensive and problematic. Um, some, let me see how they resolve that, see if I see that here, Helena. Yeah, a new provision would be added, allowing a waiver of the require, requirement for a signed consent form if the subjects are members of a distinct cultural group or community for whom signing documents is not the norm. This would be allowed only if the research presents no more than minimal risk of harm to subjects and provided there's an appropriate alternative method for documenting that obtain, 
that informed consent was obtained. And uh, let me see if they... I mean, I'm not sure if they're referring the... to someone like the Indian tribes, which is a huge, they're not small little class. Um, right. Pennsylvania Dutch are smaller little class. Um, so who's included in that? And what's small? Tell me. It just what... says, yeah, it just says distinct cultural groups or community for whom signing documents is not the norm. It does say that it has to be minimal risk. Uh, of harm to subjects, and there has to be an appropriate alternative method for documenting that informed consent was obtained. So uh, they would have to orally discuss it, I assume. I'm, I'm assuming in some manner they would have to get the informed consent. So it's not completely waived, but it, I'm not, you know, it's not clear either. Yeah. I mean, we can ignore it, I guess, thinking, hiding our head in the sand, saying, oh, that doesn't apply to us, so who cares? They're just a small class of people, <laughs> you know? But if we don't know who the class of people are and they can make it up as they go... Right. Um, no, it's not a, a bad thing to get on the record because because we sent out this comment, but we encourage you to do... Like, for example, I sent a comment just about intelligence surveillance activities exclusion. You can send multiple comments. You could just send one comment per item, however you want to do it. Just put a few in one comment. Um, so as you read it, you can document what you would want to say. Send in the comment just for that item if you want. There's there's nothing yeah, you mentioned that I'm aware of. And that becomes more uh, palatable, you know, spoonful by spoonful, instead of it becomes so overwhelming of a job. Do you send it to all 16 agencies or just to the one? I haven't done it to all 16. I I would recommend doing it, um, but I, I have not. I've only so far sent it to Department of Health and Human Services. It's my goal to do that, but I just haven't. Well, once you get it sent once, then you just have to reiterate and keep sending it. So once is good. I haven't done right. once yet. So <laughs> you're doing good. And thanks. <laughs> For, thank Norman. I don't know if he's on the call for the comments that he's helping review this. It's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Just like I said last week and the week before and the week before that, it still hasn't become any less overwhelming for me. Yeah, you know, it's a lot to read. And as, as victims, it's really even overwhelming. By you, it's it's too much to even comprehend. It's overwhelming especially whenever you're being hurt at the same time. Right. You know, someone's poking a stick at you through the chain link fence while you're trying to concentrate to say, you know, I can't just say you can't do this to us. You know, idiots, you can't do this to us, you know, and send right. a fence in like that. Um, right. So to put it in, into a coherent composition while they're poking at me is, even more right. overwhelming than the document we're reviewing in itself. Yeah, why do, why do the victims have to read the document and say, here's what you're doing wrong, you know, and we're screaming, please, you know, here's what's wrong with what is happening to us. We don't even have to say it's happening to us. Here's what's wrong. And uh, But 
but this is the common rule. We still have to get through the FDA regulation and HIPAA. Now, I think there there are intentions to synchronize the FDA regulation and the common rule, but but I don't know. And and there's there are when are those comments due? Or I don't know if I'm using the right jargon here. Is the review when when is that? Oh, so these comments are due on January 6th, but the FDA ones. They haven't even scheduled uh, anything yet. Okay. So, and the HIPAA, and there's nothing scheduled for the HIPAA either. Not that I'm aware of. I could be wrong. Uh, as far as I know, just checking. Here. You're the expert. I'm just checking. <laughs> I wouldn't. Don't take my word for it. Um, and the other, the other one is, um, yeah, HIPAA, FDA. So. More, more, because I think FDA is medical devices. And well, the chip in the, they went ahead. It doesn't even belong under their ju- jurisdiction, and they labeled it something. I forget. I've read stuff on it, and my mind is mush right now. But they kind of pasted it with a label of some sort to because they said, well, this isn't a drug. It's it's like a computer going down someone's throat. So we don't have jurisdiction, but. Let's pretend we have jurisdiction. So, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in plain language, at least that's what they did. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think it's... That's what they did. I mean, I sent it out to everybody. I know you're busy reading this stuff, so you didn't read all of my emails. I, the, no, that... I actually did. I did see uh, some of your emails today, Helena, and uh, they were actually quite Today good. was fun. Last night was fun. You know, the Ada Fruit and Lady Ada, with, who's... Uh, Yeah, L-I-M-O-R, it's her first name, fried or freed, F-R-I-E-D, like a fried egg. And she's a brilliant, I believe, MIT electrical engineer. Uh, And by the way, she has every Wednesday is open Ask an Engineer, open forum. I don't know yet how that is. You don't call in. I think you type in, but any day is ask, ask them if you buy product from them, which are really electronic nano sensing uh, Legos that you snap together. <laughs> so if you buy wow. one of their kits, either Arduino or Raspberry Pi, and you say, okay, this is not um, doing the wavy thing. I want to have a little wavy bubble around me so I'm not injured with this and somehow this sensor isn't doing what it's supposed to do. Can you help? And then they answer, you know, five engineers answer your questions and say, well, did you program it this way, that way, the other thing? Could you take a picture of it, ascend it, and see if you soldered this doodad to that doodad and whether it's correct and we'll make you fix it. <laughs> I mean, it's really – I, I was stopped by Microsoft Outlook. They said, you've reached your limit. You sent four. You can't send any more. So I have one more to send. I think that's what is the one that says that we can participate in Ask an Engineer um, tomorrow, hmm. Wednesdays, every Wednesday actually, but I didn't get to send that to everybody. Everything else was kind of fun. Well, I actually read that email, and I thought you were saying that she sent a jammer to, to you, but that wasn't to you, right? No, it wasn't to me. It was to Hackaday, um, and he is part of, if you go to Adafruit, one of the forum websites, his comments are in there saying, you know, Lady Ada, meaning this Lemore Freed, um, sent this to me, and by the way, it's against the FCC, and da, 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 but this is how you do it. <laughs> wow. So the the entire thing is there. It's in PDF. I'm still having problems with my PDF, so I do apologize if you guys can't open some stuff. 
uh, I know whenever I send it to myself, I try to open it. I'm not successful. So, but no, it wasn't sent to me directly. Um, and a bunch of other, the chaotic circuit was another one. That was an outcome when I searched Dr. Duncan's phrase. He used that phrase. And up came a chaotic circuit. You can build one. I don't know how to build one, but you can build one. Um, and for Adafruit, which is just really like IBM or Xerox, it's just a product name. Uh, so if you buy a, a $69 kit, to put it together, they'll help you with it. Huh. I don't know how much that bubble wave generator <laughs> costs. I, I didn't go that far to look at how much the kit costs, but they'll help you put their kits together. And even if you go to Raspberry Pi website, that's the UK's uh, nano and micro little Lego electronic snap together stuff. And the actual UK government has a website that helps kids and promotes it and have help forums how to build these things with stackable sensors and everything else. Wow, that's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a little deviating from this. So I'll send that out, what I, what I wasn't allowed to send out according to Microsoft. I'll send it out this afternoon or this evening. Maybe they'll let me evening. It's evening already. You know, I was having trouble. Microsoft was uh, limiting me as well. I'd send one, and then it would say I had hit my limit. But then somehow they removed that. I I'm not sure what. I don't know if they wait on. 24 hours or 12 hours or 8 hours, but I, you, I keep trying. That's all I can do. Or I go to my Comcast, which I – or I don't have a second Hotmail account, so that's it, one or the other. Um Oh, yeah, I opened a Hushmail account, and I don't seem to be limited. I do seem to be limited from Gmail and Hotmail. I was thinking about opening a Hushmail account, too, just to spread it out. And because I have so much documentation, I don't want it to be poof, disappear. A lot of that I'm going to take to court with me, especially describing the, the shielding that I use and the things that... It's documentation, let's just face it. I just don't want it to disappear. Yeah. Um, you know, I might ask Norman if he would have time to talk to us next week. So basically we can talk about comments. I'll see if Norman has, has time to speak with us, and maybe he could just give us an overview of, of what he's thinking um, are the most important issues that we address. I know they're on his website as well, but I'll check in with him and just see if he could – uh, you know, take a little bit of time to talk to us about it. Mm -hmm. That would be great. And I really appreciate mm -hmm. everything you're doing. I'm going to continue sorting my papers here. I'm going to mute myself, but I'm taking notes at the same time. <laughs> everything well, whenever I say, oh, I've got to put that down too. Unless someone has another uh, comment, I think we'll just uh, call it a night. Angelina, did you have something? Do I have the right name? I'm sorry if I don't. If you if you wanted to discuss the implants now, that would be fine. Is he gone? Um, hello. Hi. Uh, yeah. I'm just I'm just wondering um, who is Norman and uh, so where is that to review his website? A uh, Norman. Um, Raven, I think he's been a victim for 26 years. Uh, I've just recently become familiar with him. Norman what? 
Rabin, R-A-B-I-N, or Rabin, sorry. Ray, Ray, oh, is he the one uh, who had that, he, are, you already have the comment up by him? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, uh, my implants uh, were put in by, I know who put them in, um, and they used the Motorola uh, radio phones to locate me on my job very painfully, but now they've been transferred over to stores, which uh, I have heard the police call me a dangerous thief. Really? Yeah, they call me a, I mean, it's horrible. And, um, you know, I mean, I've gone through all the, you know, I, w- I was up in Fargo and uh, did you already get uh, quit uh, recording? Uh, oh, Kate? I can turn the recording off now. Just bear with me for a second, okay? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> I don't really... Yeah. You know. Yeah, give um, it just a moment here. Yeah, when I was in Fargo, I actually got the license plate of a man. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.